This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking about the latest recommendations of the Privacy and Security Tiger Team with co-chair Devin McGraw. Thanks so much for joining us again today, Devin. Thank you so much for having me. The Health IT Policy Committee recently accepted a long list of Tiger Team recommendations. For example, the team recommended that the Stage 2 criteria for the Electronic Health Record Incentive Program require participants to verify how stored data is being kept secure, such as through encryption. Devin, please explain this requirement and tell us why the team thought it was important. Well, the the requirement really isn't any more strenuous than what the HIPAA security rule already requires, which is that covered entities have to address how they're keeping data at rest secure or stored data secure, and including whether or not they're going to implement uh, encryption in order to do that. We thought it was important to sort of lift this up uh, within a sort of range of security issues that providers have to attend to because of the number of breaches that have occurred that involve theft or loss of stored data that's not encrypted. And certified EHRs have to have encryption functionality in them, but clearly there are entities that are just not using it. And we really wanted to sort of underscore that requirement as part of the Meaningful Use Program. Encryption of data at rest as well as data in motion is an addressable requirement in the HIPAA security rule, as you just mentioned. That means that if an organization determines that encryption is not reasonable and appropriate, it can choose to document another equally reasonable method of protection. The Tiger team didn't call for changing HIPAA to include an encryption mandate. Instead, it called attention to the need for EHR instead of recipients to comply with the HIPAA security rule guidelines for protecting stored data. So why did you take that approach, and would you eventually like to see encryption of data in motion and data at rest explicitly mandated under HIPAA in some or all circumstances? So the reason why we took the approach of just underscoring what HIPAA already requires rather than uh, suggesting or recommending that it go further and, and absolutely require encryption is that we were advised by some of the members of the Tiger team who actually do work on security within covered entities, like John Houston, for example, at the, at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, that while encryption is an important tool, there are circumstances under which if you use it, it creates some downsides with respect to data access and data flows that at least for him and his institution would be unacceptable. And I suspect that's probably true in other places as well. And so I don't think we would have gotten to consensus on a requirement that an uh, encryption of data at rest is required in all circumstances. Now, having said that, I do personally think that the healthcare industry is a little bit behind where other sectors are with respect to robust use of encryption to protect data, and and we really do need to be pushing a little bit further here in circumstances where there's a clear case for encryption and not really any good viable reason why it wouldn't be used. And mobile devices, for example, is one area where at least we at CDT have called for uh, an encryption mandate. I think when the law is clear on those issues, you get uh, some more consistent implementation across the board. Please summarize the other privacy and security provisions recommended by the Tiger team and approved by the HIT Policy Committee April 13th that could wind up being included as Stage 2 requirements for the EHR incentive program or as part of other regulations. Yeah, there were a lot of them, so I'll do the best I can at summarizing them. The common theme is that the recommendations have a link to 
technical functionalities that may need to be present in the stage two certification requirements. We um, put forward some recommendations on uh, authentication of provider users of electronic health records and said that when, with respect to remote access, there ought to be more than one factor, and in other words, more than just a username and a password, and the certified systems are going to have to be able to accommodate the use of two-factor authentication per the recently released DEA rules when controlled substances are being uh, prescribed through e-prescribing. So, took care of that issue. We also um, looked at the patient portal, which is being considered by the Meaningful Use Work Group as a potential requirement in Stage 2, and we said that with respect to identification and authentication of patient portal users, you know, a baseline of at least a username and password would be required. Certainly entities are uh, permitted to go beyond that and require additional factors such as knowledge-based tokens or actual tokens. As long as, I mean, we cautioned here in the patient space, you want to make sure that you're not setting the bar so high that you're discouraging people um, from using the systems. And then in the third area, we took a look at our uh, recommendations that we had teed up earlier for patient matching and reminded uh, the policy committee that it needed to send some explicit instructions to standards for the demographic data fields that need to be present and, and what's the standard for when data is missing in a certain field, like you don't know somebody's address, say, for an, for an emergency patient who's, who's not conscious. So that's that was the sum of them. It was, you know, it turns it's like a five-page letter. So it's it was quite a lot. Well, that's a good summary. Let's dive into one here. The Tiger team also recommended the use of two-factor authentication for organizations that eventually will use the nationwide health information network standards when exchanging data. So explain the reasons behind that, and will that recommendation likely be included in the pending NHIN governance rule? Well, the reasons behind requiring two-factor authentication for remote access is, you know, that, re- that remote access, uh, you know, through the Internet or some other uh, unsecure network is obviously a place of vulnerability from a security standpoint. And so we thought that a simple username or password should not really be enough. And this was the second time these recommendations had come before the policy committee because we had used the previous meeting in March to get um, some feedback from the policy committee because we weren't quite ready to dry the ink on the recommendations. And at that point, um, the national coordinator, David Blumenthal, invited us to go down the road of of suggesting that um, a requirement for participation in the Nationwide Health Information Network include these more robust authentication criteria, particularly for remote access. And so I think that given that it appeared that ONC, or at least Dr. Blumenthal, was thinking in that direction, we, we have a pretty good chance <laughs> of seeing uh, these requirements in the, in the governance role. The team also called for the creation of standard formats for data fields used to match patients to the right records, as you mentioned earlier. Can you explain how that would help protect privacy, and how might regulators eventually carry out those standards? So the way that this protects privacy, a lot of people don't think about this as a privacy issue, but essentially if a covered entity, a hospital, a doctor's office opens up the wrong record because they haven't matched the data in the record to the right patient, that's obviously 
potentially a breach of the person's record who did get open. And then if there's incorrect data that ends up in your record or duplicate records because they can't match the records to you particularly, you have both a privacy and a security issue and a potential quality of care issue that's pretty critical. And so we we had an entire hearing on this patient matching issue, and it's both a technology issue and making sure that the data is inputted right in the first place, but it's also, there's so many human factors involved in it and a, and a strong role for patients to play in, in checking that the data in the record is in fact theirs and, and raising questions if data is in there that's not appropriate. And so we had a whole series of recommendations that dealt with both the human factors and the technology factors. And in the case of the technology, you know, obviously if people are using standard data field formats and representing missing data in a consistent standardized way, then as the records are exchanged, there's a greater likelihood of getting a more accurate patient match. And how might those standard formats be incorporated in, in a regulation or somewhere? Well, the the, way, the place where we foresee them initially being put out into the market would be through certification standards. So the EHRs would present the data fields in the in the in the format and recognize the standard for missing data. And so at a minimum, it goes into the certification fields. Now, it's a little bit trickier from a regulatory standpoint to say, to, to doctors and hospitals that, you know, it's, it's, it's your requirement to, for example, fill out every field. But what you can do over time is sort of set standards for accuracy. And that's one of the things that we had said in our previous recommendations is that there, there ought to be some consideration for nationwide health information governance that there be sort of minimum accuracy standards. State HIEs might be required to keep them so that their participants, it's sort of, you know, Carol Diamond often says, you know, you have to be this this tall to get on the ride, right? You you have to have your house in order as a participant in the Nationwide Health Information Network because ultimately it'll be hugely problematic if the weakest link in the chain is not matching data appropriately and then it's getting exchanged with other participants and it, and it was wrong from the start. So the idea here is to sort of mix the mix having the technology support good patient matching best practices, and then maybe promulgating some of those best practices through um, through nationwide health information network conditions of participation. Finally, what are the next subjects that the Tiger team likely will address? Uh, I understand you're soliciting ideas from the public now through your blog. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It, it may have looked like a haphazard process in terms of the topics that we've taken on, but it's always been our goal to take the nationwide um, electronic data sharing principles that the Office of the National Coordinator first put out in December of 2008 and that have been um, kind of reinforced by the recent strategic plan that was released. We, it's always been our goal to sort of look at those principles, look at what current law already requires of covered entities, and then think about where the gaps are in both policy and best practice and try to flesh those out in a series of recommendations. And we, and we, we have done a fair amount of work, but we suspect that there's more to do. Certainly, most of our work to date has been sort of assuming a, a world of what we call push transactions where the, the data holders are the initiators of, of disclosure and make their make decisions about who to share uh, data from from their records with whom to share data and and that it's a different environment when you talk about 
a query response type model where you have a patient and you're looking for data that is about him or her and you need to go out and find it in the in the health information exchange ecosystem. And, you know, even HIPAA doesn't really have that many rules about how you collect data. It has a lot of rules about what you can do with data once you have it. And so, you know, we had a lot of discussion on our last call about looking at query response models. We want to make sure that we've taken care of the policy gaps, even with respect to push transactions. And then I think ultimately we want to get beyond the sort of primary data uses that are part of meaningful use and think about secondary data uses too. But we want to build the foundation for the primary uses and make sure that that's strong and then move on from there. But we'd love to get input input from the public about about where the gaps are and where um, we should go from here. Well, very good. Thanks, Devin. We've been talking today with Devin McGraw, co-chair of the Privacy and Security Tiger Team. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by healthcareinfosecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.